Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we're talking about the Pope's trip to Sub-Saharan Africa. We also have an update from Tuesday's press conference aboard the papal plane to Rome, where the Pope said, I'm not afraid of schisms. I pray they do not happen. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. From September 4th through 10th, Pope Francis visited three countries in Africa, Mozambique, Madagascar, and Mauritius. It was his second trip to Sub-Saharan Africa, and as always, Jerry traveled with the Pope on this trip. Now, we're releasing this episode on September 11th, which is shortly after the trip concludes. But since we didn't have time to record a full episode with Jerry after he got back to Rome, we recorded the episode in two parts. So first, you'll be hearing from Jerry before his departure. He gave us some context on each of the countries that the Pope would be visiting. Then we talked to Jerry after his return about what happened there. Here's part one of our conversation. Um, so Jerry, let's go in order of what's planned for this trip, starting with this trip to Mozambique. Um, about a third of Mozambique is Catholic and it's 70% Christian. What does the Pope plan to do there? When the Pope makes foreign trips, the visit to each country has a motto, a kind of a slogan, a theme. Mm-hmm. The one for Mozambique is quite significant. It says, reconciliation, peace. And that's exactly what the country needs. Yeah, why is that significant right now? Well, when Mozambique got independence in 1975, within two years, they fought a civil war that went on until 1992, which more than one million people were killed and millions were forced to leave their homes. Many fled into other countries. Then they made a peace agreement in 1992. They'd had elections in 1994. And then it was an unstable peace, but it held until around 2014, when again, conflict started. Now, when in 2014 they had the elections, it was clear that there was a need for a peace process. That peace process has been going on. And this August, spurred on by the imminent arrival of the Pope, they have signed a definite peace agreement. On his first day, he's going to give a keynote speech to the leaders of the country, the political, the civil leaders of the country. Jerry, what else is on the schedule besides this speech? Well, he, he every papal trip has two dimensions to it. The first is the state dimension, and that's the state dimension, meeting the president, meeting the prime minister, uh, giving a speech to the authorities, meeting the diplomatic corps, etc. The second part is to the Christian community. And of course, he will meet the bishops, he will talk to the bishops, he will talk to the priests, he will also meet a very old cardinal whom he made in 2015. He was a Mozambican cardinal, but way back in the 1980s, he asked Argentina to help him with missionaries. So after Mozambique, the Pope will go to Madagascar, which, like Mozambique, is one of the UN's least developed countries in the world. Um, And it's also an incredibly diverse country ecologically and religiously, and it's developing really quickly. Pope Francis is pretty familiar with the issues facing people in Madagascar because he's close with a number of people there, including one of his former students who has started a lot of social services in a mining town that the Pope will visit. There was a story in Reuters about that. 
Um, so, Jerry, you know, with his familiarity with Madagascar, what issues do you think that he'll draw attention to on his visit there? Poverty, corruption. People are really struggling to get food, don't have employment, and the people suffering. This really is, is a country which could be rich, and uh, it isn't. And I think the Pope is going to speak very, very strongly about this. Like Mozambique, 50% of the population are under the age of 18. It's got one of the lowest rates of education of children in the world. So he, he, he's going to speak on those three elements, the poverty, the corruption. I think he's going to come out quite strongly on the corruption. What do we know about the corruption in Madagascar? What, what kind of corruption are we talking about? Well, you've got mining, brings in a lot of money. Where does the money go? Yeah, it seems like with this trip, uh, this visit to this town particularly, but also you know his trip to sub-Saharan Africa, he's again doing this thing that we've seen him try to do where he where he turns international attention to a marginalized community. Um, I want to talk to you about how the Pope's final stop will be Mauritius, which is a much wealthier country than both Madagascar and Mozambique, and he'll only be there for a few hours. Um, what does he plan to do in this short of time in Mauritius? Well, he's going to be there for eight hours. This is a country which is well off. It was originally a sugar, sugar production was what made the country. Uh, it was uh, colonized by the Dutch, the French, and then the British. And they all, in their own way, used slaves. It's supposed to be a very diverse kind of multicultural place, right? Very, because you have a lot of uh, Hindus, uh, Pakistanis. So it's, it's, it's a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-religious country. Right, which uh, kind of intersects with Pope Francis's, you know, goal to kind of make interreligious dialogue a, a priority. Um, Jerry, you mentioned, you know, these kinds of stories that the Pope is usually trying to raise up, right? These stories of people who gave their lives to the poor and, you know, also raising up these stories of people who are living on the margins. Um, and I'm wondering if we can maybe zoom out a little bit and talk generally about Pope Francis's priorities uh on papal visits, right? We see him going to places with teeny tiny Catholic minorities. I know we're talking about Japan and Thailand, possibly in the fall, which are also tiny Catholic minorities. What does his choice of countries to visit tell us about his priorities for these visits? Well, first of all, he goes to situations where he sees need, situations where he feels he wants to draw attention to something. Going to Japan is going to draw attention to the nuclear question. He's going to go to Nagasaki and to Hiroshima. He sees nations, the peoples, he sees them, first of all, as children of God. Whatever their nationality, whatever their race, whatever their color, he, he sees them, first of all, that they're first and foremost God's children. Our listeners just heard, Jerry, what you had to say before leaving for the Pope's trip to Africa. Now it's Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening for you, September 10th, and you have just landed in Rome, gotten home. 
I was following your coverage and the videos you were tweeting, and every stop of this trip looked incredibly joyful. There was a lot of dancing, a lot of children dressed in bright colors and singing. And I also noticed in your reporting that a consistent theme throughout Pope Francis's speeches during the trip was this critique of economic policies that disadvantage the poor, such as his critique of tax havens in Mauritius. I'm wondering... Is this, as some analysts have said, part of a bigger strategy by Francis to ensure that as the church grows in the global south, that it's on the side of the poor? What do you think of that thesis? Pope Francis, since he was back in Buenos Aires, has spoken out very strongly about the economy. He, he, he said the, this economy, the way it's working in the world today, kills. People are dying. In uh, Madagascar, uh, this morning, before leaving, he met a family, uh, they have measles. There's been an outbreak of measles, very serious outbreak in, in Madagascar recently. The, these people are suffering from extreme poverty, and yet their country has minerals, the big mining companies are coming in, they're exploiting people, young girls are being subjected to prostitution in many cases to, to survive. And uh, the, the Pope he can't find words strong enough to express the feelings of what he is seeing and the sufferings of the people. A lot of the investments from the companies and from governments, they don't look at the ethics. And Francis yesterday, when he went to Mauritius, this very small island, very rich island, a tax haven, he said, we must have economic policies where people are put first and where people are not sacrificed on the altar of speculation and profit. It's, it's strong. But he, he's talking for the majority of the poor people. Jerry, I'm wondering, you know, after you've seen how this trip played out, why do you think that the Pope decided to go to Africa now at this point in time? Well, I, I've pointed out that there are two signs of hope in in. The first country in Mozambique, that if peace takes root, is consolidated, then there's hope that the economic future of the people can change. Secondly, in Madagascar, if this young president succeeds in combating corruption and making sure that the people who are working in the mines are paid properly, poverty can change into a dignified life for people. So, Jerry, let's talk now about the story that's been getting a lot of media coverage here, especially in the States, uh, which is, as always, what the Pope said on the plane. Um, on the way to Africa, the Pope was meeting with journalists on the papal plane informally when a French journalist, Nicolas Senez, handed the Pope a copy of his book, How America Wants to Change the Pope. And this book kind of outlines the ways in which a wealthy and often traditionalist sector of the American Catholic Church attacks Pope Francis. And the Pope told this offer, author in their conversation, I'm honored when the Americans attack me. And then on the way back, he was asked about these comments and whether or not he was worried about a schism. And the Pope said, I'm not afraid of schisms. I pray that they do not happen. Um, and he also said that he prefers when people criticize him openly rather than behind his back. Now, you were here for all of this, Jerry. You wrote this up. Um, and the Pope made it clear on his way to Africa that he knows that he has critics in the U.S. But I'm wondering, when he talks about that schism part on the way back, do you think that he's also talking specifically about the Americans? He said Yes, there's criticism in the States, but he says it's in other places too, and also in the Roman Curia. But he, he says, 
I, I welcome criticism. It's, if it's going to be constructive, it's going to help, and I will respond to it. But if it's a kind of criticism that they don't want to listen to your answer, and they, they're they effectively not willing to dialogue on your answer, he said, well, then we're moving to an elitist or ideological position, uh, which is far from the gospel. And he said, I see in many places in the church, and he wasn't just talking about the United States, I'm certain of that, mm-hmm. because I've heard him talk before about this. He said, I see rigidity. And when I see bishops and priests being rigid, he says, I feel that behind this is there are problems, and it is not gospel-like. Jerry, I want to ask you about that point about the Pope asking for his critics to dialogue with him, because I know that some of his critics would respond, well, you know, we tried to do that with something like the Dubia, and the Pope didn't respond to that. I'm wondering, you know, do you think that the Pope is willing to dialogue with his critics? Do we, do we have an example of when he's done that? Well, look, I've known the Pope for many years, and I do know that he, he, he can say, right, I've got this wrong, uh, I do it differently. So he does accept criticism. I, I've seen this myself very clearly. Yeah, one example of that might be the situation with the Chilean bishops, right? The, the, the most recent, one of the recent examples, yes, but it's not the only one. But when you come to the Pope with the dubia and you say, is this right or is it wrong? You want a yes or no answer. And if you don't get a yes or no answer, you don't want to deal with him. This cannot be. So he doesn't accept that you can dictate the format in such a way for a dialogue. He feels that you're excluding dialogue by this kind of approach. I've seen the pontificate of John Paul II. I've seen the pontificate of, of Benedict XVI. And now I see the pontificate of Francis. There is more academic freedom, freedom to express your mind, freedom to talk, freedom to dialogue under this pontificate than under the previous two. And I have great admiration for the previous two popes. We have to be very clear about if you want to dialogue, you you must respect the, 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 the role of the other person, but you also must be willing to perhaps change your mind that maybe you have misunderstood. The question that was put tonight on the plane to him was, what is it that they have not understood about your pontificate, or what have you learned from criticisms? Uh, There were two parts of the question. He said, criticisms I welcome if they're honest criticisms, open criticism, but not criticism behind my back. Do you think that the Pope sees a real risk of schism? Is Is that a real possibility here? The Pope believes that God gave people freedom. He said in his answer tonight, that the possibility of schism is there because God has given human beings freedom in the church. We should know that doesn't mean that he thinks it's a good thing. He is not saying, look, I see schism here and here and here. But he says in the history of the church, what we haven't in the story published, but what he said on the plane, he said, when it was in the third or fourth century, when the Council of Ephesus was there, and the bishops were going in to discuss, should the church say, Mary is the mother of God or not? She said, the people, the people of God were outside with sticks and chanting, Mary, mother of God, so that the bishops got the message when they went in to discuss. And he said, uh, the schism is where you detach yourself from the faith of the people. Do you think that 
you know, the Americans or even the Pope's critics breaking off into a schismatic group is likely yourself? I don't know. I, I, I've, I've watched what happened with the Lefebvre's. And I watched uh, John Paul II, Benedict XVI, and now Francis, going a long way down the road to try and dialogue with these people. But they think the council is wrong. They think the, 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 the Second Vatican Council is wrong on some questions. And uh, the whole history of the church, the early history of the church, uh, on many of the things we say in the creed, were, uh, there were groups who, who disputed and who separated themselves from the body of the church. So today, when you get somebody saying that the, the, the Pope is... Uh, He's, he's the guardian of orthodoxy, according to Catholic teaching. When, when you get them saying that, you know, he's, he's a heretic, he's, he, he's teaching heresy. Well, that's going very far down the line. And that is moving into an ideology, as the Pope said. I think his answer tonight needs to be studied very well. Because uh, he... It's obviously something he's thought about. And we were talking among ourselves and journalists afterwards that it, it, he seemed uh, to be, have very clear thinking on this question. Cherry, I don't want to end our episode on um, such a dark note as talking about schism. So I'm wondering, you know, if there's anything else that you wanted to add about this trip, since I think it's likely that these comments might kind of dominate the, the media attention around the trip. Um, was there anything else you wanted to mention about it? Well, I, I think that what all of us have come away with from the trip to Africa was the joy of the of the people, the joy of the people in, at the masses. It was so joyful when when we went in, in Mauritius, and you had, had all these people waving palm branches. He communicates a joy, and he said to the people, he said, in, in his homilies, he said it various times. The Christian community has to be able to communicate joy with the message of the gospel. If you don't, you're not going to attract people. One journalist told me, he, he talked to a young person, and he said, how is it so many of you young people come to church here, and uh, in the West we don't get them? And he said, well, maybe it's very simple. Maybe we believe in God. <laughs> wow. Jerry, all of this is really, really beautiful. Thank you so much for, one, all your reporting, but two, for uh, getting on the phone with us uh, so late at night after you've gotten back. I really appreciate it. And I will let you go now, but thank you so much, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Okay, well, good good night, Colleen. It's nighttime here. I, I've been up since 4 o'clock this morning, so oh I think goodness. I will be getting some sleep soon. I hope you do. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at our William J. Lowshirt studio in New York City. Our executive producer is Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Tucker Redding. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Our studio manager is J.R. Kronheim. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next week.